This is KaneCast episode 61, a review of our small cap core portfolio in the second quarter of 2018. Hello and welcome to KaneCast for the second quarter of 2018. This is Jordan Greenhouse, Client Portfolio Manager at Kane Anderson Rudnick. Hi, this is John Christensen, Portfolio Manager for Kane Anderson Rudnick Small Cap Core Portfolio. John, let's start with a review of the Small Cap Core Portfolio for the second quarter. Can you take us through a broad market overview related to the small cap marketplace, in addition to taking us through some of the key contributors as well as the detractors for the portfolio? Sure. So when we look at the second quarter of 2018, the Russell 2000 index, our, you know, our benchmark was up almost 8%. So a very strong quarter for the market overall. Certain sectors such as energy, uh, consumer staples, as well as healthcare, uh, in addition to REITs, were all up double digits at least. So a, I, I would describe the quarter as far as the market overall as more of a lower quality quarter. And you look at different attributes such as S&P stock ranking, uh, betas, uh, high debt on the balance sheet. Those types of businesses typically did better in the quarter. Obviously, as I pointed out, uh, energy had a very nice quarter, uh, up over almost 21%. So we don't own a lot of energy companies, so that is going to be a, a little bit of a headwind for us. Uh, healthcare, I thought was interesting as well in that it was up 10%, but a lot of companies that have lower S&P stock rankings within healthcare did better than those with higher S&P stock rankings, and also with consumer staples as well. Lower quality consumer staples did better than higher quality consumer staples. So I would just describe the overall quarter as one, a more of a lower quality headwind for us, albeit over one quarter. is We really don't look at that as a long period of time, but when we do look at it from the quarter, quarter overall, it was definitely much more of a lower quality quarter. In looking at the second quarter's performance, we saw a strong move in the energy sector. However, when looking at the small cap portfo- core portfolio, we do see a current underweight. Can you describe your views on this space, in addition to you, how you look at investing in the energy sector? Yeah, as I said, the, the energy was a very strong contributor, obviously, in the quarter as a sector overall. You know, we don't own a lot of energy companies typically, and that's been fairly consistent over our history. Not to say we don't own any, uh, in small cap core, we, you know, we do have two, Core Labs as well as uh, Drillquip. But in general, we don't like the sector because of the fact that it usually is tied to commodities and they're usually capital intense businesses. Now, we feel like we have some unique businesses with Core Labs as well as Drillquip in that they have a tendency to be a little bit less capital intensive, a little more proprietary in terms of software services that E&P companies find valuable when looking at not only new drilling areas, but also older drilling facilities that may be uh, re-engaged and they're looking for geological data to see how much productivity they can get out of a certain well area. And that's what a company such as Core Labs does a very, very good job with. So those companies tend to be less capital intensive, but in general, there's not a lot of Core Labs or drill clips out there. So we will, probably perpetually be underweight energy uh, going forward and, and no, no expectations for us to increase our position at this time. There has been an increase in the average market cap of the portfolio over the recent years. Can you walk us through how you monitor the average market cap? In addition to that, can you walk us through some of the opportunities you're seeing in the small cap space? 
Yeah, it's absolutely true that our, our average market cap has increased in small cap core over time. It's really a, a characteristic of a couple things happening. And one is that we have had several businesses. Uh, it's a nice problem to have, I guess. We've had several businesses that have we bought in that one $3 billion market cap range and that are now $10 billion plus. So uh, we've held these stocks for many years and they've done very well for us. So there is a, what we're trying to do and the way we think about it is too, is we try not to own um, any market caps that are larger than that, than the largest market cap within the Russell 2000 index. And right now that's around $10 billion. So when a stock does hit that $10 billion plus area for us, it will become a candidate for eventually leaving the portfolio. This does not happen overnight. This is not a knee-jerk reaction, but it is something that eventually will make a, an exit out of the portfolio. And what we try to do with that in those cases is when those higher market caps exit, we then try to find other names in the portfolio to replace them that are in, again, in that one to $3 billion market cap range. So because of the low turnover, the 20, 25% turnover we perpetually have in this portfolio, we are going to have a higher market cap than the benchmark just kind of in, in, in perpetuity. And remember, the, the Russell 2000 reconstitutes every June and July. We don't reconstitute, so we keep our, our stocks in there. So it's, it's our goal in the end to maintain the integrity of the portfolio. Okay, We're not here to run a mid-cap portfolio. We're here to run a small-cap portfolio. But again, because of how we do things and, and, and our low turnover, we will be a little bit higher than the, than the average weighted market cap of the, of the benchmark. Uh, but again, our goal is to continually re, re, uh, rejigger our older, higher market cap names and put in smaller market cap names. And that's indeed what we've done. But I think people need to be patient because this does not happen overnight. And that's why we take a multi-year approach when we're doing the average on these so we can kind of weigh that out over time. But, over time, we know we'll, we'll keep it down. Uh, it will be a little bit higher than the benchmark, but uh, we're okay with that given the, the way we invest. One of the recent additions to the small cap portfolio has been Molus. Can you explain your rationale and the potential oppor opportunity set moving forward with this business? Sure, so uh, Molus is a name we added to the portfolio last, late last year. They are a global investment bank. Uh, they provide financial advisory, restructuring, capital raising services to clients all over the world. Uh, we like these types of businesses because they are really human capital uh, intensive in nature. So they're not capital intense businesses structurally, but because they have that high human capital, uh, it's a very nice variable cost, right? So these are teams when they're going out and doing investment deals who are not paid just on commission, but they're paid on the team approach, which it's a very unique culture in Mollus and a lot of promotion from within where there are other investment firms try to uh, do uh, buy investment teams from other groups and other, and other organizations. Mollus is really focused a lot on internal uh, promotion and over time and making it a, a very team approach. We think this reputation and the culture of the business of kind of providing this unbiased advice to clients really pays off in, uh, in, in, gain, in garnering business and maintaining business and getting recurring business over long periods of time. I mean, unlike some of the other bulge bracket firms and banks, 
Mollus doesn't have any other lines of business that can create possible, you know, possible conflicts of interest with other clients. So for us, it, this is a company that has grown sales at a 19% CAGR uh, over, over the last seven years, right? While growing EBITDA, EBIT at an even faster pace of 34% at the same time period. So they have very low debt on the balance sheet. Again, that low capital intensity, that business converts into high, strong free cash flow. And we think that this is a company that uh, will continue to have productivity from its managing directors. And in this favorable M&A uh, environment, we think we'll do very, very well. Kane Anderson Rudnick tends to take a long-term view on its holdings with turnover averaging approximately 20 to 30%. We also notice many of the positions within the portfolio are held in excess of five years. Can you explain your sell discipline and monitoring process for this portfolio? Yeah, I think, I think our understanding our sell discipline is just as important as understanding our buy, our whole buying procedure as well. Because selling can be, you can get the sells wrong and, and leave a lot of money on the table. And if, if you get the sells right, obviously it's very additive to alpha. But here's how we think about selling in general. Uh, there's a lot of different reasons why you might sell a business. For example, one could be it gets acquired by another business. Uh, maybe the valuation can get a little bit high. Uh, something's changed in the business. I think that last reason is is the main reason. So there's the main reason we would sell a business is something has either something has changed in the in the competitive structure of the business, or maybe we misidentified it right at, at the start. But usually it's it's a case of a company we we find a company and they've got a, this competitive moat that we admire, and then over time something has eroded either they've they've deviated from that path maybe they've gone off and made acquisitions that are totally uh not even close to their core competency uh or just or the competitive environment eventually caught up to them maybe it, it, either through management uh missteps or again other other people uh encroaching on their space our job is to make sure that when we first work on a business that we identify the transitory versus structural issues. Okay, that's why we really need to do hard work and research on these businesses. We need to understand that when a company has weakness, is this a structural issue or is it a transitory issue? If it's a transitory issue, then it could be an opportunity for us to add to our position if there's weak, right? But if it's a structural issue, it's usually gonna mean that we are gonna sell the business. So that's why in the end, we need to understand the business as well to identify those structural versus transitory issues. John, can you take us through the quarter's performance as well as some of the key contributors and detractors for the portfolio? Yeah, so when you look at the market overall in Q2 2018, uh, it, it was an interesting market in that the Russell was almost up 8% overall. So very strong, very strong quarter for the Russell 2000. And there were certain sectors that participated very well in that. Energy was up over 20%. Uh, consumer staples was up 14%, REITs were up 13%, healthcare was up 10%. When you dig down a little deeper into it, it was a little bit, I would call, a little bit more of a lower quality market. And what I mean by that is stocks that had uh, very low, uh, low S&P stock rank, rankings did very well in the quarter. Stocks that had high PEs did well in the quarter. Um, stocks that had more debt on the balance sheet had a tendency to do a little bit better in the quarter. So overall, I would say that it was a little bit more of a low quality quarter. I thought it was interesting too, 
if you look at just those sectors like I called out a second ago, like within energy up over 20%, uh, those stocks that had S&P stock rankings or B or lower were up 22%, but stocks that were B plus or higher were down almost 10%. So a huge difference there in low quality versus high quality. Same thing with healthcare, lower quality did better, and, and same thing with consumer staples. So in those sectors that did very well, there was a clear delineation that lower quality stocks did much better in the quarter. So we we had that we had that uh, headwind, uh, albeit over one quarter, but it was still a headwind for us uh, given the market I, I just described. Uh, you know, some of the top performers we had in the quarter: Auto Home, uh, Right Move, and Aspen Technology. Uh, Auto Home, which is one of our larger holdings, continues. You know, they are a uh, a China-based uh, website. They have multiple websites focused on the consumer automotive industry. This is a company that continues to grow revenue in that 25 to 35% range uh, with uh, earnings, earnings growing even more than that. So they're continuing to do well. Um, and then on the bottom side, we had HFF was one of the leading detractors, uh, Wabco, as well as Market Access. Uh, HFF, real quick, you know, they are a, a broker in US commercial real estate. They uh, had reported some volume weakness in Q for their Q1 number, actually. Uh, so the stock was taken down a little bit. Uh, this is always a tricky, a tricky uh, situation because the stock was actually up around 77% in the previous 12 months. So it had a very good run and just reported a little bit of weakness in, in volume. So uh, investors took, uh, took some profits at that time. So, we look again at those structural issues versus transitory issues and we view this as a, as a transitory issue in HFF and uh, we continue to be shareholders in that stock. KaneCast is the official podcast series of Kane Anderson Rudnick Investment Management. Kane Anderson Rudnick provides this communication as a matter of general information. The opinions stated herein are those of the speakers and not necessarily the opinions of Kane Anderson Rudnick or its affiliates. Portfolio managers at Kane Anderson Rudnick make investment decisions in accordance with specific client guidelines and restrictions. As a result, client accounts may differ in strategy and composition from the information presented herein. Any facts and statistics quoted are from sources believed to be reliable, but they may be incomplete or condensed, and we do not guarantee their accuracy. This communication is not an offer or solicitation to purchase or sell any security and it is not a research report. Individuals should consult with a qualified financial professional before making any investment decisions.